welcome to the Mindful Creator Podcast. I live by the philosophy that good or bad, we create everything in our life. If you're listening, my hope is that this podcast plants the seed in your mind that you can be the mindful creator of your world and that you might be inspired to take action to create your best life by whatever learnings impact you the most. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Mindful Creator Podcast. Joining me on the podcast today is a good friend, Sanj Sangar, aka on Instagram as The Habit Wizard. Sanj is a guy with many talents, including magic, where he's performed for weddings, parties, and other functions. He has a huge passion for trading forex and creating structures that can guarantee a result, and is a huge advocate for the idea that you can achieve everything you want in life and the first step to doing that is to change the smallest of habits that you do every single day sanj so good to have you on the show bro how you doing thank you for having me man thank you for having me it was uh i gotta say wonderful introduction i don't often hear myself spoken about in that high of a regard okay this is the one and only time that that's going to happen so enjoy it while it lasts (laughs) (laughs) appreciate it (laughs) so bro let's just get straight into it okay um Let's talk about magic first, because that's uh, like, I think magic, magic is fascinating. Um, I think most people look at magic with a huge sense of wonder. Why, why is that your thing? Like, how did you get into it? How did you become obsessed with it? And what drove you to start doing it professionally? So uh, probably a great place to start, because I think magic was the one thing for me that probably changed, I would say, the entire course of my life. I started off probably like most kids. I got given the magic set when you were younger. Uh, You learn to do just like a silly self-working trick. Um, And I think the turning point for me was on one of my birthdays. I'm sure I was still like seven, maybe seven or eight years old. My uncle bought me at that point, this is going to show my age now, a video series. No DVDs, no like YouTube. It was a video series and it was an encyclopedia. It was an encyclopedia of sleight of hand, all to do with cards. And I became obsessed. I I went through the whole video series. I got massively obsessed with sleight of hand and uh, close up card magic kind of became my thing. Um, I think the reason I started to become so fascinated with it when I was a young teenager, I quickly fell in love with the idea that I could fool someone that was like twice, thrice, quadruple my age. And having that power as a kid was amazing. Like to be able to baffle full grown adults and have them like be in awe of something that you could do and not just being nice because you're small, but actually like being blown away by something that you can do. I was ridiculously fascinated by it. And I think when I got to the age of, I think 15, maybe 14, something around that age, I started to actually do gigs. So I started off just doing like birthday parties, this kind of move really young wow really i didn't realize it was 14 or 15 i knew you'd been yeah that, but. so that that was when i that was when i initially started and i think it became a bit of a niche for me there because not only was i a performer that could do these like amazing tricks that everyone perceived i was also really really young so i would turn up to these a lot of these events and everyone was in their like maybe 30s 40s 50s sometimes and uh yeah i would just work my way around tables uh, i did a variety of events birthdays weddings corporate functions charity events all sorts um and it was crazy and at that point 
my kind of obsession was I can earn a lot of money as someone quite young doing not a lot of work. Because for me, my thing was I would, I put in a lot of graft in the years learning the skill of like sleight of hand. But then once you know all the routines and you know how to kind of manipulate a card to anywhere in the pack, it was kind of, I had to remember a, a cycle of maybe like five or six tricks. And then I could just recycle those throughout an entire event. And for, for someone my age earning like a hundred, 200 pounds for a, a few hours of work in a night was insane. And um, I became hooked as a child. I was hooked. Massively. Uh, so did the idea of, first of all, was the validation from those that were around you that were way older than you at that time when you were 14 and 15 starting it, did that validation give you a, was that one of the things that pushed you to do this more and more? I, I think so. I, I think the, the biggest thing for me was when I was in school, I was never really like the popular kid. And at the age where I started to get really good at magic, um, it was also a time where one of the things I struggled with most was like self-confidence. And so to receive praise from people that are levels above you, not just in terms of age, but knowledge and everything was quite a good thing. And I was like, okay, I've got something now that I'm getting a lot of praise for. And that kind of helped me build my confidence a little bit. And that kind of still started to spill over into every aspect of life. But I, I remember when I really got serious about wanting to do this, I used to um, meet one other friend and sometimes I would go alone. Um, I'd go up into Covent Garden and just do street magic, just to people like I'd, I'd force myself to just approach people in the street, do a routine. And I remember the first few days I'd approach them and my hands were like, I couldn't even like pull myself together, but you do it enough times and it all starts to become normal, right? Yeah. So um, I, I think a lot of it for me was, yes, there was definite, I loved receiving the praise and maybe the attention um, but at that point in my life, I think it was much more about it was doing wonders for my personal self-confidence. That's, so that's huge self-awareness, right? At the age of 14, 15 and 16, going out to Covent Garden with the idea that, you know, this is going to help your confidence. That's mm -hmm. a massive self-awareness for uh, a teenager. Um, yeah. So what, what do you think? How, how did you get to that point of self-awareness where you're like, actually, if I put myself out of my comfort doing this more and more, performing street magic and getting myself out there in front of strangers, that that's going to give me a confidence boost. How did you even come to that conclusion? What led you? I, so, you know what, I'll be honest. I'd love to give you a, uh, a deeply like philosophical answer that I was spiritually enlightened at a very young age. Thank you for the pre-frame that this is not going to be deeply <laughs> spiritual or philosophical. No. I like to set the expectation low, right? <laughs> no, honestly, I, I'd like to think I had that deep level of awareness that building that confidence would lead on to a lot of other good things in my life. But honestly, at that point, I knew the lack of self-confidence was an issue because it stopped me networking with people. And I say networking, it sounds very professional, but just being friends with people at school, like talking to people that I don't know, meeting new people, having small talk with people in just weird situations. I, I was never really comfortable with doing that. And so I always knew self-confidence was something at that stage that kind of held me back a little bit. And I think coupled with the idea that I was doing something at that age where I could get a lot of money if I get better at this thing, mm. for me, it became a little bit of a no-brainer because I loved what I was doing. I loved the reaction and the attention that I was getting from people at the time. And I could get paid good money to do it. 
So it was kind of like by pursuing this and doing that little uncomfortable thing, it would tick so many other boxes at the same time that it felt silly not to do it. Yeah, I love that. And I was actually much more philosophical and deep than <laughs> yeah. uh, you know. So thank you for that. No, it's uh, it's an amazing insight and something that you just touched on, which was, you know, you loved doing it. Like mm. there's a lot of people out there and probably those the guys that are listening, guys and girls that are listening right now that don't love what they do on a daily basis. Mm. Why, why would you say it's important to you to follow more of what you love to do? Yeah, it's a great question, man. Um, I think, I think so much of what we've seen nowadays, like at least in our generation of growing up, we've seen so many people that end up living a life that is really, I guess, not true to what they really want. I would say, and I, I read this. Uh, I mean, it's it's blown up a lot now, but I, I remember reading quite a while ago. Um, it was like the top five regrets of the dying. And it was written by a woman that worked in a, I think it was a care home. And she would basically interview elderly people about things that they regretted basically on their deathbed. And obviously this is many years after the kind of magic started. Um, but I think it all ties in part and parcel with things that I was maybe unconsciously thinking or feeling at the time. Um, and I think it's the number one thing on there is kind of just not living a life true to yourself and maybe spending too much time at work. And I coupled those two things with the idea of seeing so many people like just hating what they do for a living. And I, especially as I got into my sort of younger 20s, started coming out of university, I very quickly became aware that the vast majority of people end up working for a good portion of their life. We're talking until 50, 60, average, um, average lifespan at the moment is like, you know, 80 years old. So you're talking like two thirds of your life almost mm -hmm. doing something to earn some sort of living to at least make it by. And to me, it just, it didn't make a lot of sense to do something that you didn't really enjoy for the vast portion of your life. I don't know. I don't, I'm not a big believer in afterlife. I don't know what happens after you finish this kind of one go that you get. And so it's kind of like, why would you waste it doing something that you don't really like in escape for a little bit more money? That that whole notion just didn't make a lot of sense to me at the time. I love that. And that is, I mean, that's something that I really resonate with anyway, which is we've got limited time as it is. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. yet life, life can be very short. At the same time, you know, 80 years is a long period of time. So yep. there's a lot of time in there to do so many things but then we can get so caught up in this idea that it's just like about the job you have the work you do and then everything else is secondary or it happens when you retire but actually yeah. there's a whole life to be lived and uh, I love what you just said about going for the thing that makes you happy because 100% it's two-thirds of your life right so yeah, yeah. That, that's two-thirds of your life minimum but I think as time goes on life expectancy medicine's getting better like yep. uh, we're becoming more conscious about our health and everything else, then life expectancy is going to increase, which means retirement is probably going to be a little bit later as well, yep. which means that you're going to be working for even longer in your True. life. So True. it's like you might as well do something that you do enjoy and the money is secondary. So yep. yeah, I, I do uh, respect that point of view 100%. Um, so then let's talk about what happens after that. So you're now performing magic. Did you perform magic throughout uni and then into like adulthood? 
Yeah, pretty much. Uh, throughout uni, like I, I didn't really get like, um, I don't know, typical uni jobs, I would say. I didn't sell tickets to clubs. I didn't work at bars or anything like that. I kind of carried on with that skill that I have something that is a quite a unique skill at that point. Um, I got it helped me get very well known uh, around like my circle of friends, around my uni campus and things like this. And I would leverage that to just do one-off gigs every now and again, that would pay very well yeah. in comparison to what most other students were earning. And so it, it, it kind of reinforced that idea that I want to do something in a space where I can earn a lot of money for something very highly skilled for the least amount of time so that I can get to enjoy that money to do whatever I want with in that point. So yeah, I definitely continued it throughout uni. Um, and then it, it kind of, it went from being my only source of income to, I guess I would say just a, a side hustle mm -hmm. as I left uni and got my first like corporate job. So two things, how did you balance doing uni and still working uh, as a magician, freelance, obviously yeah. going to occasional parties and, yeah. and all that? Um, and then what made you get your first job when you knew that you were already doing something that you loved? Good question. So to answer your first one, um, for me, I, I'll be honest, I found the balance not that difficult at that point, because for me, all the graph that I put in to learn magic to get to the point where I am today, which I wouldn't say I'm outstanding, but I know more than enough to fool average Joe. Um, but to get to that point, it was years and years and years of work in preparation. But then when you get to that level, I would describe it as kind of like riding a bike. Like you never really lose it you get a little bit rusty, but you give me, you know, I, I could not pick up a deck of cards for a year, but you give me a deck of cards, you give me five minutes and I'm ready to go. And that, that was always my experience. So as long as I knew my routines and I knew I had my skills and I know I'd never really lost them, the upkeep in terms of keeping up the balance between juggling sort of maybe uni life and then doing odd gigs every now and again, for me, again, I, I was in a bit of a privileged state. I, it wasn't a huge like time commitment on the magic side. I think the most time commitment was maybe having to find gigs if I was looking for them. But again, everything that I ended up doing back then was largely word of mouth at that, at that stage. Um, to answer your second question, why did I get my corporate job afterwards? I think at that stage, it's a good question. I, I left uni knowing that I didn't want magic to be my full-time thing, which probably sounds really weird knowing that I've just said, I wanna do something that I love and enjoy. And at some point down the line, I don't know where the, the switch for me flipped, but I'd like to say I sold out and I wanted to do something that gave me like the secure paycheck mm. coming in every month. Whereas the magic, maybe had I pursued it harder or dedicated myself further to it, to building a business and a brand around that, maybe I could have had that, but it's not something I ever really did growing up. I didn't really like being part of the social media game. So I never really built a social media space for the magic stuff in my business. And so for me coming out of uni, I knew I had this good skill that I could earn some money from for a very short amount of time. Yeah. I wanted more. Um, and it kind of just led me down the corporate route. And I guess the, the only other things that I really knew at that point was technology. And I ended up in IT for like four or five years after graduating. Hey, it's amazing. So now I know, uh, and everyone here that's listening who doesn't know you is about to find out as well, that, you know, you were in the job for a little while and you started to realize that actually you don't enjoy it at all. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't believe that you're 
in the minority of people who might feel that way. I uh, actually do believe there is the majority and, you know, depending on circumstances and uh, people's personal situations, everyone's going to do whatever's right for them. But, you know, you took the leap of being in the safety of your corporate job, mm -hmm. having that awareness and realization that you don't enjoy it, which now hearing about your earlier story, and although we know each other, uh, a lot of that was new to me just now as well. So realizing that you had that self-awareness from such a young age, it's no wonder that it kicked into your uh, corporate kit career so quickly, right? That's how yeah. yeah. I don't enjoy this and maybe there's another way to live. So what was the, what was it like leaving your job and leaving the safety and the comfort, not really knowing what you wanted to be next? Uh, honestly, if I had to give you one word, probably sum it up, scary. It was scary. And that was, uh, for me, like a weird emotion to feel at the time, because in my head, going into the corporate world and knowing the past that I'd kind of come from, knowing that I, I didn't want to be that corporate guy, I knew at some stage I would want to have my own business, just not really knowing what field it was going to be in yet. It was scary because it, it was a weird feeling to have, because I always knew I would be in that position where I want to leave, but I didn't think it would come about in the way that it did. I, I guess that was that was weird for me. I was, I think being having that corporate job for I think it was four or five years that I was there, I definitely got used to that feeling of a monthly paycheck coming in pretty regularly. And going from that and just saying, you know what, I'm gonna take maybe a couple of years out and see what happens. And it's like, you know, the first month you leave and you get all this free time and it feels great. And then suddenly you come down to payday and there's no payday, and you're like, oh, that was weird. And then it happens again and again and again and uh yeah it's it's scary it's definitely scary so then okay so now you've got that fear uh being struck into you as well so you've left your job how long were you in your job for by the way uh i think it was about four or five years i think i started in 2000 and either i think it was 2014 i started and i left in 2018. wow so you know four years had the awareness and you left and now you're starting to realize that actually the paycheck's not coming through on a regular mm. basis, on the first of the month, mm. or the last day of the month, or whatever. Mm. What was the next step after that? Well, I mean, the whole reason I, I wanted to leave my job, uh, maybe this is a good story to share. The whole reason I wanted to leave is I actually went, got to a point with my job where I was going for a promotion. I was going for the next level up. And at that stage, I think I was still in maybe a little bit of denial thinking that having more money coming in, would solve what the, the kind of inner conflict, everything that I was feeling inside. Yeah. And I got to a stage where I actually got offered a job for the next level up. And in being offered the job, I realized the money was not what I was chasing. It wasn't the money that I wanted and it didn't fill any void inside. And so in the same week or two of getting offered the new job, I basically turned it down and handed in my notice more or less at the same time. And everyone was kind of baffled at work because everyone was like, you know, we've heard people negotiate for money, but we've never had somebody just turn down and resign after like going for a promotion. <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, we're loving so, what you're doing. Here's more money. And you're like, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, literally, literally. So I, I think I, for me, that was like, I don't know, I guess you could call it maybe rock bottom, at least internally. Mm. I, I, at that, it was that point I realized that actually it wasn't the money that was going to fix everything. It was something deeper than that. It was, and maybe it was that feeling of knowing that I'm kind of being untrue to myself. I'd known, I'd had all these feelings when I was younger that I feel like 
you have to do something you really enjoy with your life. And I wasn't living true to that. Yeah. And so for me, I always knew that I would take at least, I had said I'd give myself a couple of years to kind of figure out life. Yeah. Um, and I, I kind of went away from that experience. And I, I, I think I took maybe two months straight, just I did nothing. I wanted to just have a break. I didn't want to start looking for the next opportunity to make money or start a business because I felt like I had to. Yeah. I wanted to really kind of separate and try and figure out what do I actually want to do with life and what will really make me happy. And um, I did an interesting exercise and I think I took the notion of it from um, The Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod. Yeah. And he has this exercise in there where he gets you to send out an email and basically you're looking for things that you're really good at. You're looking for friends and family to tell you things that you're really good at and maybe things that you can improve on. Um, so I did this exercise and what I wanted to figure out was what were my strengths? Like I, I'd always been told that like I'm a good people person and that was what made me a, quite a good magician. Um, people always said that it was never really the trick. It was the way that I did the trick. It was always the routine and the way I interacted with people. And so I'd, I'd always heard a lot that I was good with people. But the one thing that came back almost from everyone is that, well, there was two things. There was one, you're a big people person. You know how to connect and build rapport with people very quickly. And the second thing was to put it politely, you have the gift of the gap, you know, the ability to talk unlimited amounts of shit. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that was what made me a good magician at the time. And um, I think the thinking around that point- as well, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure, right? You don't want somebody that's kind of dry and reserved. Yeah. I, I was always that person that, I feel like I'm a little bit of an introvert, but in yeah. the right scenario, I can kind of flick and switch and just turn it on. And just yeah. be like, okay, this is like social sand mode. Like I'm just going to go out and do my thing now and be good with everyone. And I don't think this is, that's me being like fake. I think it's, I just have, I don't know, different sides to my personality. I have a side where I can go out and do my social thing and a side where I just need to recharge a little bit. Yeah. Um, but sorry, I, I to go back to the, go on, go on. To, to go back to the sort of original question, I, I kind of wanted to use that time to obviously not rush back into work. But then once I'd done that exercise, I kind of received all that feedback and I had many of the same points from different people, family, friends, ex-coworkers, things like this, just people that I trusted that would just be raw and tell me the truth. And then it was for time for me to kind of sit down and say, okay, how can I use these skills to do something beneficial that would help other people, but would also like give me a lot of fulfillment as well? And the thing that I stumbled across at that point was, was coaching. And th this is how I ended up inevitably starting sort of like a coaching business at the time. Yeah. So before we get into the coaching business, just from a practicality standpoint as well, because if anyone's listening that might be in the same position as you and feels like they would love to do something different, but they can't, uh, you know, you were working for four years and then you decided to leave and you said you're going to give yourself a couple of years to go and figure out something else to do now in that four years what did you practically do that gave you the sense of confidence to go actually I can leave now and give myself a couple of years and if it all doesn't work out then fine I can go back to doing something but what gave you the confidence to go practically I can do this I can leave mm, okay good question I I think there was two things for me personally number one I would say money management I'm a very like process or as you know, I'm a very process orientated person. I, I work by routines and habits and I like to organize everything. I'm like super OCD. And one of the things that I was always strict on was finances. 
And over the four years that I worked there, I made sure meticulously every month that I was putting money aside that would either be used for something bigger later in life or just savings, investments, something, right? But I was just kind of building up this chunk of money. And I think the longer you do that and the more you hang around with people at that point that I worked with that just seem to be living check to check. And that's not a, that's not me looking down on people. I know everyone has different circumstances. I was very fortunate in that I was living at home for the, the vast majority of that time. And so it was much easier for me to save money, but I made sure I enforced that every month. I could have gone, gone out and lived an incredible life and blown my check every month, but I made sure I saved. So I would say the first thing was money management, getting to the end of that four years, knowing I had a chunk of money, which made me not reliant on my month to month paycheck. Having that stash was, for me, was, was freedom. It was my very like small sense of like, fuck you money. Like I didn't need a job for that point in time. I could just do what I wanted for a set period of time and I know I'd be good. Um, so that was the first thing. And I think the second thing was, I guess this ties back into everything that we talked about with magic, but it was a belief in myself that I know in the four years that I did my corporate job, I started at a very entry level role. And the level that I kind of got up to and the things that I'd done within that job, I think would far supersede most people that started at the same level that I did. And I did it in quite a short space of time. And I don't accredit to that for me being actually like amazing at my job. I accredit that to my ability to build rapport and network with the right people. And I thought to myself, if in the absolute worst case, nothing works out with my business, I feel like I could start again at the age of 35, 40, 45 years old in an entry level job and using my skills to be able to network and rapport and build with the right people, I could still retire at a fairly decent level, earning pretty decent money. And so it was kind of like knowing that I have that belief to do it all over again. I've, I've got nothing. I don't have a lot to lose at that point. Yeah. There, was, there was no reason to just not go for it and risk it all. So then do you think that, do you know what, that's a bold move and it, it takes incredible self-discipline to follow through with what you were just talking about. Now, how much do you think it played on you and for how long about the idea of comparing yourself to other people that were a similar level to you? Um, friends, people that you were working with that you could see potentially advancing and doing all those things. Did that ever play on your mind? I think definitely, but I think the people that I would compare myself to were very selective. I always saw myself as different from, I would say the majority of people around me, but I knew that there was a select few set of people, whether that was close friends, whether that was people that I was maybe following online yeah. um, that were living life at a different level than I was, but they were the same age as me and been through many of the same experiences that I had. So I was kind of like, how are they able to live life so differently? And I'm not able to achieve that yet. And I, I think at that point in time, one of the reasons that I did really want to leave my job was that I didn't feel like I was aligning myself with the right kind of people or comparing myself with the right kind of people um, that would help me get to the things that I wanted to aspire to achieve. Yeah, I love that. And do you feel like you're... See, I'm, I'm a big advocate of this. I know you are too, which is repetition is mastery, right? Mm -hmm. You spoke about that a couple of times when you were talking about how many hours of graft you put in to perfect the skill of magic before you went to perform. 
Then yeah. you went out and performed in front of people randomly on the street. And, you know, it's just repetition of the same thing, which is why now, yeah. even if you don't touch cards for a while, you can pick up the deck and you're ready to go in a few minutes. You can take a few mm -hmm. minutes and get back into gear. Do you feel like that repetition um, exercise that you went through and the discipline that it instilled in you gave you more of this sense of self-awareness um, and discipline around making choices for yourself and not being um, not being subject to the influence of what other people are doing and comparing yourself to other people. Yeah, I I, I definitely think so. I definitely think so. I, I think there's um the thing is when you talk about uh, repetition, I I think repetition and I mean as I the term that I normally use is like consistency, being consistent with one thing. Um, for me, that was learning about what that does in terms of a person in, and that's both in your actions and your mindset and everything that you do was kind of the foundations to realizing for me a lot of how life works and all what i started to feel like or understand was that people that were at different levels whether that's higher or lower than i was currently at they simply adopted different habits and that was different consistent routines of thinking or actions that either put them levels above me or levels below me. And the moment I realized that everything is a game of just what do you consistently do every single day really unlocked, like how do you start to move up in life or how do people end up moving down in life, but don't are not consciously aware of it. And I think too many people operate that cycle on autopilot mm -hmm. and they end up in a cycle that either leaves them going down levels or up levels. And I think unless you start to consciously become aware of what that consistency is doing for you, you don't really know how to manipulate the game of life. And that brings us perfectly onto the next phase of your life, which was the coaching business. Mm. And, you know, that's where the habit wizard was born. And yeah, yeah. let's talk a little bit about that. How, why was coaching well you, you said that coaching was going to give you the most fulfillment but why coaching on habits specifically where did that come from and what is it what's the core philosophy behind it what's the core message that everyone listening should know about how important your habits are and why okay so um when i was at a stage in my life where i left work and i thought to myself i need to create an entirely new identity for myself. I need to rebrand my own self-image to become someone new. I had to try and figure out how do you do that? How do you start to reinvent who you are as a person? Mm -hmm. So then I started to do a lot of work. And as I was kind of looking into coaching, I came across concepts that kind of broke down how do people actually change and manipulate their identity? Okay. And I guess the, the concept or the analogy that I came across was that Everything in life starts with a belief. Your, what you believe changes what you think on a day-to-day -day basis. What you think determines what you feel. The, how you feel every single day determines what actions you take. The actions you repeat end up becoming habits. And habits are essentially part of who you are. So when I heard this, I was like, okay, that, you know, that makes a lot of sense. And when you start to break it down, you know, you are someone, if you had to describe yourself in three words, what would you say? So dips. Three words, describe yourself. What would you say? Three words. I would say driven. I would say uh, 
Oh, it's tougher, isn't it? <laughs> okay, uh, Flipping this podcast around now. Yeah, wow. <laughs> uh, no, I, okay, I definitely go driven. It's the first one that comes to mind. Okay. Uh, how else do I describe myself? Um, just two two individual words, right? Yep. Um, I would say hungry. Okay. And I would say frugal. Interesting. Interesting. So you, you can ask this question to anyone. Yeah. Anybody listening to this can play this exercise themselves, right? You write down three words to describe yourself and then you unpack how do those words make me who I am? And when you think about it, every descriptive word that you come out with when you try and figure out who you are as a person is essentially just a collection of habits. Like, for example, you said you, you're driven. You cannot be driven if you are somebody that habitually lies on the sofa every day and just watches TV. It, it just, it doesn't match up, right? Your habits have to make up who you are as a person. So when you go to describe yourself, everything is simply a collection of habits. You can't be frugal if you go out and you blow everything you make. It's, it's impossible. It's impossible, right? So saying I'm, I live frugally is simply saying that I have a, a habitual way of spending my money where I spend far less than I actually earn. And that's what makes me a frugal person. And so you can break this down in absolutely every descriptive word possible. Somebody could say I'm caring. Well, it's impossible to identify as someone that is caring unless you habitually care for those around you. If you yeah. didn't give a shit about anyone around you, you wouldn't be considered caring, right? So for me, everything was about habits. And I was like, okay, that, that makes a lot of sense. Like I'm a process-driven person and systematically that whole analogy seems to make sense about how you identify exactly who you are. Logically, so, just take all the boxes. Exactly, exactly. So, it, you know, in my head, I was kind of like, okay, this makes sense. So if I need to change who I am as a person, then I have to start looking at my habits. And then it became a case of what consistently do people that are levels above me start doing and what consistently that levels, uh, sorry, that people that are below me are regularly doing. Because ultimately, if I want to become a successful person, all I need to do is adopt successful habits. Mm -hmm. And that's, again, both actions and thinking. And you start to just figure out like people that typically, I would say don't live the life that I'm aspired to living. They're, they're typically like, they're pessimists. They're always looking at the, the bad side of every situation. They're, they're typically people that are spending money check to check. Um, and they're just doing something that I guess they hate every single day. And I would always say all of those things are a choice. Every single one of them. So it's a case of breaking down how you define who you are as a person, and then simply just working out how to change each and every habit to make you just do something every single day that's going to make you just a little bit better to work towards the future self that you want to become. Cool. So let's go with a practical example. So mm. everyone listening, you can just pick a generic uh, uh, aspect of life. But yeah. What would you say practically someone would need to do if they wanted to change their habit in relation to health, for example? You say health? Yeah. Cool. Great example. So I think, uh, I think this is actually a perfect example to start with because I, I think we can actually use this as a point to show where most people probably go wrong and why they don't get the results they want versus where I think most people actually end up doing or some people actually end up doing it right. So when most people start a health kick, the first thing they want to do is they figure out, they say, they commit. They say, right, for the next 30 days, I'm going to work out two hours a day, seven days a week. And this is it. 
this is going to be the start, the whole transformation process of my life. And what the, yes. <laughs> and the, the way I look at that in terms of coaching is there are two ways to start any new habit or routine. And you have a path of either consistency or you have a path of intensity. Now, there can be a blend between each of these areas. But what I tend to find is where most people want to start is they want to start at the very end. So what they're describing two hours a day, seven days a week, maybe that's a bit extreme. But for the next 30 days, that's a very intense routine. For someone that is not really into health or fitness and new into that space, that's not where you want to start. Because even if you muster up enough motivation, willpower, discipline, whatever it is to make it through those 30 days, the chances are you get to day 30 and you're completely burnt out and you've got nothing left. And the thing with health and fitness, and I guess this applies to many areas of life, is that it is all about playing the long game. Like you don't go from very out of shape to extreme six pack that you can keep within 30 days, right? Because all of health and fitness is built in the long, in the long run of things. It's not about how much you can do in the next 24 hours or 30 days, it's how much can you do in the next 12 months or like five years. And so what I would say to people that want to start is build your routine based on consistency. What one small action can I take today that I can repeat for the next one year, 12 months, that is going to get me closer to my goal, right? And I think what, when you phrase your routine or trying to re-identify yourself like that, it's going to give you something a lot more stable that you can afford to be consistent with and you just show up every single day. And what tends to happen is the more and more you show up and you're consistent with a certain routine, it starts to become something that you are as a person, right? So the analogy, and I, I, you know, I read this, I got this, a lot of this concept from a great book called Atomic Habits, mm -hmm. um, written by a guy called James Clear. And he talks about this idea called the two minute rule. And he goes, if you're going to start any new routine, aim for your first few days, weeks, months, aim to just do it for two minutes. And it sounds ridiculous, especially when you compare it to like health and fitness, right? So like go to the gym, get changed, go out into the, you know, the, the workout area and then work out for two minutes and then go back and change and then go home. Sounds ludicrous because it's like at the it end of 30 like days. The idea of gym life, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but at the end of 30 days, where are you going to be after two minutes of exercise every single day? And I'll tell you, nowhere, absolutely yeah. nowhere, right? It will make probably zero impact to all of your health. But what you've done in that 30 days if you, is you've cemented the idea that I am the type of person that goes to the gym. That's the most important thing because that's the thing that will help you to transform in the long run. Once you're the type of person that goes to the gym, then you can start to up the intensity because it's part of who you are. You're just going a little bit harder now. What people try and do is enforce something in the short term, which is not really who they are. And they're so uncomfortable because they're fighting between their, who they are in their current space that they just end up falling off the wagon. And it becomes a thing where, hey, I lost like two stone in 30 days and then I did nothing else for the rest of the year and now I'm five stone heavier by December. Which is where like the yo-yo diets and everything else come in. 100%, 100%. This is why I don't, I'm not a big advocate of like 30 day abs and transform your life in 90 days. And I think the people that are gonna get fit and I would say importantly stay fit are the ones that have a consistent routine. It becomes part of who they are. And the more you stick with it day by day, the more it becomes part of, this is something I know I have to do. Much yeah. like you get up in the morning and you know you have to brush your teeth or you have to shower, I hope, for most people. <laughs> um, well, exercise just becomes part of that thing. It's just something that you have to do, whether you feel like it or not. It's who I am. 
so I, I get it done. So what's your, because you, you just touched on it a second ago, what, what is the reason that you think things like 30-day abs or get the results that you want in less than five minutes a day and all that stuff that you see that people are constantly being bombarded by? And by the way, that's not just health-related, it's money-related, it's relationship-related, it's everything-related. There's always something yeah. that someone's promising that you're going to get the result in uh, a short amount of time within with like as minimal effort as possible. Why do you mm-hmm. think so many people go for those things when mm-hmm. the truth is, is that the consistent, slower, longer option is the one that's almost going to guarantee success? Yeah, um, I, I think maybe it's a lack of patience. And I, I personally, I think this is accredited a lot to maybe social media. I think, you know, it's, it's very common and people are starting to become a lot more aware that social media is not a reflection of somebody's life. It's a highlight reel. And highlight reels don't show you the up and down every day. They don't show you the constant grind behind the process. And I mean, I think my whole reflection of like learning magic as a child was was a perfect example of this because I would say seven or eight times out of 10, I would show somebody a magic trick and they'd be like, teach me that trick. And it's like, I mean, even if I showed you, even if I showed you exactly what I did, you wouldn't be able to repeat it for at least probably two months to, yeah. to do it to some kind of level that I can do. Yeah. And it's like, people just want the result and they want it yesterday. And so to be able to, you know, if I was trying to sell someone something about, let's say health and fitness, we keep it on the topic. And I said, hey, I'm going to get you to have a six pack. I'm going to get you to completely transform your diet. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z for you. However, it's going to take 12 months, a shitload of hard work. You're going to have to push through loads of days that you don't want to do something. It doesn't sound as attractive as somebody that says, hey, join my course for X amount per month and you'll have abs by the end of it. And again, a lot of those people can get the abs by the end, but then where are they 30 days later or 60 days after that? Probably back to square one for the vast majority of people anyway. So I just think it's not as attractive and people want results quickly because that's what, that's what we spend most of our life seeing on social media. We see the highlight reel. We only see the before and after. We don't see every other day in between. And I think that has messed up our perception of time and when to expect results. Yeah, I think that's a reflection of the whole overnight success thing because even the Beatles were like oh they were an overnight success and yep. the overnight period was like a decade of playing in bars and pubs and uh, 100%. not getting paid paying on the streets and like you know putting in the graft like yep. I, I've seen you post some uh, magic tricks and stuff on Instagram and stuff like that and like I know you so I know that that trick is a reflection of well the last 18 years or more yeah. of practice so yeah. you know, yeah, 100%, like Instagram is, or even social media in general, is a highlight reel. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your relationship with motivation? Because you said motivation yeah. and other stuff earlier. What's your relationship with motivation and uh, how people think they need to be motivated to be able to get something done versus uh, ingraining a habit into someone? Mm-hmm. So I, I think motivation is a funny one because I think um, a lot of people flock to things like social media for it. They're looking for the quotes, um, the captions, the before and afters to make me think, you know what, I need to start. And they think that what they lack is motivation. And my opinion, and I'm, I'm sure you'll agree with this, is that I think by and large motivation is it's just crap. It's not in the sense that it doesn't exist. I believe motivation is a real thing and you can feel inspired and want to do something and be driven. 
but I don't think it's the thing that separates you from the person that you want to become, the future self of all the goals and ambitions and things that you want to achieve. I think motivation is what is commonly purported online because people think for me to go out and do something, I have to feel like I want to do it. And I think that's the key term, right? Motivation is based on a feeling. And I think the more people sit down and if I think if a lot more people learn to meditate every day, you will understand that what you feel every single day changes, right? What makes me happy today might make me sad tomorrow. What makes me angry might make me excited. You know, your feelings are so fickle. And if you are trying to find consistency in something which is so inconsistent, you're destined to fail. It just doesn't work. So the, you know, the advice that I give to most people that are wanting to start a routine and waiting for the motivation or the drive to do it, it's like, it's just not gonna happen. You're waiting for the wrong thing. And what you need is to focus on that thing of consistency, right? And I like to get people started on consistency through momentum. And I actually think if people focus on the idea of momentum and the way, the analogy that I always use is that an object in motion stays in motion. And this is why I like the idea of starting something very small with like the, the two minute rule that they teach in like atomic habits and just getting started. Because let's be honest, the hardest part, we go back to health and fitness, the hardest part of getting started on a new workout routine is probably not the exercise. It's just going to the gym on the first day. Yeah. It's, just, it's just showing up that one day. That is the hardest part of getting your routine started. But once you do day one, that's the hardest day done. Now it's like second day, it's not going to be as bad as yesterday. I already know. I suck, right? That's not gonna be new to me anymore. Now I can just go in and start to actually improve. And so that whole process is what I like to call momentum because now you've got the object and the ball rolling. And once it starts, it's much easier to carry on. And I think what most people don't realize is they're looking for motivation, but it's very hard to just randomly inspire yourself and then keep on being inspired every day to show up. What you actually need is to frame your your intention for exercise or whatever it is you want to work on, on momentum. And when you do that, what tends to happen is you end up motivating yourself because on day one, you could only go on the treadmill and you could run for a minute before you almost died and had to take your inhalers, right? But on day 10, now you can run for like a minute and 20 and you're like, whoa, like I couldn't do that 10 days ago. And that's a good feeling inside. So I would argue that actually, if you focus on momentum and just starting and being consistent with small actions every day, you will find the motivation that you're looking for. It's not the other way around. And I think a big takeaway for me in the way you just phrased that as well, is that the motivation will be something that's generated internally based on the result that you see from the, mm -hmm. the momentum that you gain just by turning up for the two minutes as the example. Correct. And, and you know, a month from now, the two minutes is going to be 15 minutes, 20 minutes, half an hour, four to five minutes, and then you get the hour long session. And then you're actually enjoying the process because it's become who you are. Exactly. Exactly okay. that. All right, love that. So we're coaching, we are uh, working with clients and you know, you're uh, basically ingraining uh, examples of what you just gave into people's lives to help them achieve more of the results that they want, uh, mm -hmm. more and being consistent. I think it's even Warren Buffett that says, or maybe Charlie Munger that says the fastest way to get rich is slowly. Uh, and, you know, there's truth behind that because, well, their results speak for themselves. Yeah. So, um, you know, how does that then translate from you being a coach around habits mm -hmm. to your life in trading? 
because mm. you have a huge passion for forex trading why yeah. is that of interest to you how did you even get into that and mm. where's the correlation between what you do on a day-to-day basis in terms of your habits mm-hmm. and how that translates into you being a trader who can make a profit it's a good question. Um, so I started learning how to trade in 2012. Now at that point, I was still in university. And the reason I got started is because at that stage, I was doing a placement year at university and I was in Poland. And it was my first experience at working an office job. And I was there for, I think, less than a year. And I hated the experience of being in the office. It's no reflection of the company or the people. Everyone was great. Everyone was fantastic. And I was blessed with the opportunity. But I thought I sat in that office every day and I was kind of like, is this what people do for 40, 50 years of their life? And this is not me looking down on anybody that wants that. It just wasn't me. I just didn't see myself in that scenario. So it was while I was on my placement, I kind of figured out, I need to figure out how to do something different so that I don't have to spend my life working in an office because everything that I was doing at that stage, university, the degree, everything that led up after that, it was paving the way for me to end up in the nine to five, the, the kind the race that most people play. Yeah. And so I wanted to get involved in trading because I knew it would give me two things. It would give me a, an option to earn an unlimited amount of money and it would give me the ability to work for myself it, it was one of the very, it's still one of the very few industries that you don't really have a boss, you don't really have a manager, and you don't really need clients, you don't need customers. And for me, I, I think I mentioned earlier, like, I'm someone that's very comfortable in being alone in my own space. Uh, this is why I'm a, I like remote working, I don't have to be in the office every day, I don't have to conversate with people. So something in that industry where I feel like I could just do my own thing and make my living by myself without the need to have to speak to anyone would be great, would be great. Um, So that, I guess, was my interest in trading. Um, How it relates to everything I do in terms of consistency, I would actually say I I didn't learn about coaching or the idea of consistency um, until a long way down the line. So like I said, that was trading was in 2012. I didn't start my coaching business until 2018, probably going into 2019. I think trading was actually a really important lesson for me because I saw literally no progress with my trading for many, many years. And even now, it's still a struggle a lot of the time. And I think the one thing that I learned from trading is like, the, I guess the way I would phrase it, I'm reading a book at the moment, which sums up trading in the best way possible. And the book is titled, The Best Loser Wins. And if you if you think about everything that I've done in terms of when I started to trade till date, it has simply been a case of learning how to fail every single day. That sounds silly, but I feel like it's such a good lesson to learn in life because if you learn how to take a failure or a loss, whether that's in trading, it's usually a monetary loss and maybe it's a kick to your ego, But in life, that could be a failed relationship or a failed business or a failed friendship or, you know, a failed degree or anything. I think learning how to take that and come back more positive, ready to do it all over again and try to achieve the end goal all over again. Like trading for me has been that sort of journey throughout life. And when I started learning about the idea of consistency, I think I've been doing this unconsciously with trading because 
in order to stick with something that you don't really see any success from for years on end, you cannot do that unless you're consistent. It's impossible. And you have, to some degree, you have to love what you do. It, I think it's very difficult to be inconsistent and hate what you do, but still show up most days to anything, right? Most people were throwing the towel by that point. Yeah. So um, I, I think it's been such a good reflection on how I need to look at absolutely anything in life because now I go in with this outlook that actually failing is it's not a bad thing because if you're if you're someone that's wired to know that if you're consistent every single day and you just show up and your aim that day is not to kill it, not to complete life and tick it off in one day, it's just I'm going to be 1% better than I was yesterday. Yeah, you'll always come out on top. It's impossible to lose. And I think if you do that over the long run, you think about compound interest in the way it works with money. I also think it works the exact same way in life. If you're consistent and you know how to lose and come back from setbacks and failure every single day, mm-hmm. those 1% improvements every day, they add up and they eventually get you to a place where you will achieve whatever it is you desire. I, I completely agree with that. And speaking of, well, I mean, look, I, I work in sales, right? So I've been in sales my entire life. Like the first job mm-hmm. I ever had was doing door-to-door sales for windows, doors, driveways, guttering, all that. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, I, I was the little brown kid going around on uh, people's <laughs> doors at six to eight in the evening, three nights yeah. a week, 15 yeah. years old, getting the door slammed in my face. And yeah. there is a resilience that mm. rejection builds, mm-hmm. which I think then builds character, builds discipline, builds confidence as well to keep showing up with yep. the same energy, the same uh, idea that actually you can still make this a success because the very first time you try something, you're probably going to be shit at it. Like, it's yep. just how it is. Uh, the first time I played uh, golf, it's fucking terrible. But yeah. now at least I can go around the course and play a decent game. I'm nowhere near going to the PDA, but yeah. <laughs> you know, that's not where I'm, at, where I'm trying to get to either. So, you know, yeah. it's just yeah. a, a reflection of that consistency and keep showing up. And I think yeah. um, even the sales side of it, like if you can't deal with failure, mm. then it's just not going to work because in sales, especially right from the beginning, you are going to have more failures then yep. you're successful because yep. you'll learn something new about how you spoke to someone, how you portrayed what you were able to do and all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then each person's going to have their own stuff going on, different stories, different objections, different uh, hurdles to overcome. So uh, I think your relationship with rejection and failure needs mm-hmm. to be one of the most powerful relationships we have because if you can master that relationship, well, there's the only yep. upside uh, yeah it's true right 100% so 100%. what is your what's been your biggest failure to date and it doesn't have to be like a, a trading failure thing it can be but just yep. generally, what do you think is your biggest failure to date and uh how did you overcome that it's a great question man um my biggest failure to date? So it's a great question. I, all right. I would probably say I, 
I don't know if this is my biggest one. I'm, I'm trying to really like speak off the cuff and with what comes to mind at the moment. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is my biggest one, but I know this is one that stuck with me for a very long time. And it was when I was doing magic and it was when I was at an event and I screwed up a trick. Sounds maybe really minuscule, right? But when you're, when you're in that moment and you're in the, you're the eyes and ears of everybody in a circle around you. And I would like to put on a bit of a bravado when I do magic, a very cocky one that I can kind of school anyone. When you do that and you genuinely get it wrong, that moment stuck with me forever. And I think that was a moment like, you learn, you, you learn a lot from that situation because I felt like I went into that day and I had done everything correctly. Yeah. I prepared, I suited up, I had my routine ready. And for whatever reason, something happened on that day that made that trick go wrong. But the impact that it had on me, whilst it may sound small, was huge because I feel like I did everything within my power to make it work. Yeah. And it was an absolute failure on that moment. And the first time it happened, I fumbled. I stumbled my word, like I, I didn't have any words to say. I kind of just walked away from that. And it was a huge flop of a routine for at least that one table. And that was a, a huge moment for me because at that stage, magic was something that I really prided myself on. Mm-hmm. It was the one thing that I knew I was really good at. It was the one thing that I was known for. And to mess up the one thing that I'm known for and good at in public and to kind of be laughed off like knew he couldn't do it (laughs) i was like damn but the the thing i learned from that is i guess how you come back and you know the the weirdest thing is the one thing i built into that was that if i was ever going to mess up a trick again and it's happened many times since if i was ever going to mess up a trick again i have kind of that ace up my sleeve i know how to spin that failure into a positive into another trick So I would actually make the whole failure part of the routine and spin it off in an entirely new effect and make it a whole new magic trick, which like people acknowledge the failure at the start. And I never used to hide from it, but then it was like, how quickly can I recover from that and spin that into something positive? And I, like I said, I don't, I don't know if that's my biggest failure, but it's definitely been my most impactful one because I think it went on to probably mold the way I look at dealing with failure in every aspect of life. Like, I don't like the idea or I, I love the quote that it's hard to beat someone that doesn't give up. Yeah. Right. You, you just can't do it. If every day I'm looking at how to improve, then you, you, just, you can't be beaten. It's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. But and I think that that is true of everything in life, business, relationships, love, friendships, just anything. If you're constantly improving and you know how to take the worst moment, the biggest failure or a significant failure and spin it into something positive, I feel like you're unstoppable. Yeah, I agree. And what my question for you is, what in you drove you to come back? And you may not know what the answer is, is but I'm curious. What in you drove you from that moment uh, to come back and go, okay, how am I going to bounce back from this and even come up with the idea that if that failure happens again, you're going to spin it off into another trick because it's genius, right? That's, yeah. that's brilliant. So, you know, then it becomes a bit more of a show and it goes more into your personality, which you are bringing as a magician to that uh, effect. What mm. drove you to come back fighting like that? Because mm. 
and tell me if I'm wrong, but was there any point where you were like, I'm never doing this again? I'll be honest. I think with, uh, with magic specifically, I don't think I ever hit that point. I, I don't think I did. I think with trading, I, I could say I've probably had that every day almost right there there have been so many points throughout the life cycle of that i've been ready to throw in the towel and i'm like i'm done like if this continues to happen i'm done and i'm i'm out i think the um the reason why i i don't and what brings me back i like i like the feeling of evolution i, I think you, you with most people some people you tend to meet they don't like change I, I think I figured out very quickly that I like change. I think what scares me more is staying the same. And I, I think the only way to not stay the same is you have to be open to change and improvement and evolution. And that doesn't mean it's always change for the better. Sometimes you could change and realize you're a worse person, you know, who you are today than you were yesterday. But now that you have that information, that knowledge is now power. And then you know you don't have to do that again. So I, I guess the... I don't know. I don't know if obsession is the right word, um, but the the need or feeling to want to be better every single day because I I don't want to stay the same. I, I think average is the last thing that I want to be. So anything that I want to do, I want to be able to do it at the highest level possible. If I feel like I'm ever operating inside of like a comfort zone, I have to throw myself out because I don't feel like anything good ever comes from that zone. The only thing that comes out of that is is average, is mediocre. And that's like, that's not the life that I'm aspiring to live. Uh, super interesting perspective. And I also think that one thing that you have going for you in those moments where, you know, you have that moment where you're like, fuck, I'm never doing this again. What, why am I wasting my time? All that stuff is that you actually have a love and enjoyment yes. for the thing that you're doing. And you know, in those moments where things are going wrong, yeah, because like if you didn't love trading, if you didn't love magic, if you didn't love coaching people, then I can almost guarantee that you probably wouldn't carry on. Very true. Very true. So Good point. you know that combined with all that stuff, I think is uh, a powerful way because I completely agree with the idea of evolution. Right, the only constant is change. That's mm. the only thing that is consistent in life. Everything yep. is changing every single day. Yeah. So just like getting comfortable with the idea of failure, mm -hmm. you've got to get comfortable with the idea that things are always changing. Like even if you look at a relationship, who your partner is when you start going out mm -hmm. and starting that relationship, to who your partner becomes a month in, a year in, five years in, because everyone's still going through the life experiences and everything as individuals, yeah. they're going to be very different people. And if you're not willing to evolve with the change of that, well, that's going to cause friction. That's going to cause issues and all that kind of stuff. So change is everywhere. And I completely agree that, you know, change needs to be mastered just as much as anything else. 100%. 100%. a great point. So what is then the ultimate vision for you? What is, what is it that you're looking for in life? Like you coach people, you trade. I think you also... Um, I don't think you mentioned it yet, but you also you know, help other people in trading as well with uh, creating consistent habits and creating structures around the way they trade to give them more consistency as well. But yeah. what is the ultimate vision for you? What is it that you're looking for out of life? 
Um, you know, honestly, I don't think I could sit down and, and paint a picture and be like, I want to live on a, a hut overlooking the beach and I want to play a guitar. Like, I, I don't know if I have a, a vision like that, right? You, you play I, I don't know who has that. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I may. I may one day, right? Yeah, uh, you, never, you never know, dude. You never know. <laughs> Anything is possible, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if I have that picture lined up as to where I see myself at the end mm -hmm. all I know is I the only thing that I'm aspiring for is freedom freedom in the sense that I want to uh, maybe this is going to sound really cliche because I think probably everyone wants this but I'm trying to set my life up in a way that I can do what I want on my terms and the big part of that for me was like having my own business being able to be in control of how I make money for the long run. Because I, I feel like you have a lot more limitations when you're in a nine to five. And again, this is not talking down to people that play the nine to five game. This is just, I don't feel like it was right for me. Mm -hmm. I love the idea of being in control of who I speak to, where I am, geographically, everything. And I want to be able to set my life up in a way where I am free to do absolutely anything at any time. And that doesn't mean that I want to have millions in my account and then just do nothing for the rest of my life. It means that I want to set myself up in a way that I can do the things that I love from anywhere in the world. Yeah. So that if I decide, hey, today I want to go and work from Germany and tomorrow I want to go to Australia and da 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 da, I can still have the same work and grind and everything yeah. and do the things that I love, but do it in a way that is much more free. And that, to be honest with you, I've probably talked down a lot of like the corporate game and the nine to five race. I actually think a lot of the world is moving that way now. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the jobs that maybe like the next generation and the generation after that, they're going to be far more free. And they, you know, if they're, if they're the type of people that are not, don't want to have their own business or not naturally business minded or whatever it is that makes them want to have a business, you probably wouldn't need to do that because I know tons of people now that, work full-time in typical corporate jobs but they work completely remote yeah and it, it's amazing you get the balance you get the balance of both worlds you get the security of the monthly paycheck you get to be wherever you want in the world which is unreal yeah i i completely agree with that as well which is i think covid's had a huge amount to do with that yes yeah because yeah. covid's been a horrible time it's been horrific and i wouldn't say that it's been um uh amazing for the majority uh yeah. in fact it's been quite the opposite there have yeah. been just with everything else uh, just with everything else there have been some blessings out of it as well which are things like these realizations that actually what used to be you know nine to five monday to friday you had to be in the office and mm -hmm. all of a sudden you realize that actually that's not true and yeah. you can do things a different way that awareness of being able to do things differently to what was considered normal and routine yeah has been uh, a huge spot for things to change i don't know if you've seen recently as well they're trying out they've been trialing out quite a few companies uh with a four-day work week which is quite common in places like finland and denmark and stuff like that that's which, awesome uh, now a majority of the companies are saying that actually it's shown increase in productivity it's shown increasing mm -hmm their uh, staff's happiness. So yep. you know, I think people are becoming more aware of um, people's mental health and mental well-being and taking that into consideration because people realize there's maybe more to life than just 
the typical what we were used to working home balance that was there yeah 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 i i mean this is probably going maybe a little bit off topic but i think in in the wider scheme of things i actually don't believe that the majority of us are born to work office 9 to 5 jobs like if you think about the stages of evolution evolution sorry we've come from like the hunter gatherer stage yeah. we're used to being active outdoors like doing something outside hunting all that sort of stuff like just doesn't exist now i think the the birth of like the factories and when things were going like everything was about mass production and they needed a human force to be able to do that it made sense that evolution went that way 9 to 5s were created office jobs were created but now i feel like we're moving into the next phase in which we have like technology we have ai we have like code which can be written which can actually replace humans and i say this in actually a positive way but replace the majority of human jobs mm. at a much better level than most of us are able to do it and actually it leaves us to do what we what we should do best which is be creative we have this amazing human mind and i feel like so many people are limited by what their job dictates they have to do day in and day out i think if people were more expansive in what they wanted to do in life and in mind they'd actually find that actually what they do on a day to day basis probably wouldn't be high up on their priority list yeah like i i 100% resonate with that because um i live by a couple of philosophies one which is everything that you want uh, in life starts with what you can create in your mind so that idea of being creative and using your imagination is 100% like the the foundation of everything that you then experience in your life and i do believe that actually everything that we've gone through from school into work and the the way we're conditioned to be does mm-hmm. limit the amount of creativity that we are exposing ourselves to the amount of creativity sure. that we're allowing ourselves to explore on a day-to-day basis and you know maybe that is one positive that comes out of all of the ai and the way tech is going for all of us which is yeah we can go back to uh the way we're meant to function not the way we have rationally been doing things uh in that way because the more things that we do rationally is actually operating out of survival which is mm. yeah so yeah that's that's super interesting perspective and it'll be interesting to see how more people take on that creative way of living because 100% with everything else it's going to be a huge period of uh discomfort adjustment but ultimately evolution mm-hmm. everything is changing and this is no different 100% 100% so last two questions and these can be uh quick ones for you so Go what is your most inspiring book or movie or actually no not or book and movie and i can't be okay one. <laughs> yeah 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 um then what is the most inspiring book and movie that you've ever read and watched and why yeah okay so i'll start with book um for me probably on theme with a lot of what we discussed today i would say probably like atomic habits mm-hmm. uh james clear or there's yeah. a very another very good one right along the same path um the power of habit i think it's by a guy called charles duhigg all yeah. breaks down to how habits work and i think the reason i would say it was so inspiring is that once you realize how structured it can be to change your habits and then subsequently change who you are as a person it makes you understand that absolutely anything in life is possible if you structure your routines that way mm-hmm. um most inspiring film 
I might have to hit with uh, hit you with a cliche one, maybe like Wolf of Wall Street. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, it's right up my alley just in terms of like trading um, the financial markets and stuff like that. But actually, I think underneath it, if you look at Jordan Belfort as a character and the way that he's portrayed in the film, um, I think it's a great story about someone that started from very little and created a pretty, I mean, yes, unethical, but unbelievable life for themselves. Mm. Um, it again just shows you what's possible if I wasn't going to go something financial market related um, and just something that I watch purely out of like inspiration or motivation um, The Pursuit of Happiness amazing film amazing film like I mean if anyone hasn't watched that you need to watch it immediately it's just the most inspiring film based on a completely true story yeah. that you could ever watch yeah great I film and another uh, reminder that exactly what you said is true, which is absolutely anything as possible if you can see yourself there. Yeah. Which is again coming back to that creativity, imagination, starting in the mind. Like if you can think it, it can exist. And I think mm -hmm. it was Einstein that said, like, you know, we now live in a world where we've made, where we follow the rational mind and have made the creative mind our servant. And we should be a thousand percent living the opposite way of that. Yep. Yep. Final question for you. If you could travel back in time to a specific moment mm -hmm. to your younger self and mm -hmm. give your only allowed to say one piece of advice, yep. what would you do? When, when would you go? What would you say? Um, I you know, in all honesty, I don't think I'd go back as far as a lot of people think. I would probably go back to my last day of work, my mm. corporate job, before starting anything else outside of that. And the one piece of advice, because I feel like it resonates with me every day, don't give up, just keep showing up, that's it. Because despite everything that I've said so far, there are still levels that I wanna reach for my business, for my trading, for absolutely everything else, health and fitness, relationships. There are so many more milestones that I wanna hit. And I don't think I'll ever get to that place if I ever throw in the towel in any one of those areas. So for me, it's a, it's a constant game of just showing up every day and don't give up because anything is possible. Amazing. Dude, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Um, and if Thanks anyone wants to reach out to uh, Sanj for any questions, any advice, any uh, coaching opportunities, you know, the, the guy's amazing. His ability to help construct and destruct your habits is absolutely incredible. I've had the pleasure of seeing it done myself. Um, you can find him under the Habit Wizard, and I will tag that in this post uh, on Instagram and YouTube as well. Dude, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been amazing. Um, I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, man. It's been a pleasure. so much for tuning in to the mindful creator podcast if you enjoyed today's episode and you got some value from it i'd really really appreciate a review and don't forget to share this podcast with friends family colleagues anyone that you think could benefit thanks again have an amazing day and stay visionary